Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Greetings. God is good. Amen. He is good in all things, and not just the things we see as good, but in all things. Everybody say all things. All things work together, the Bible says, for good to them that love God and are the called according to His purpose. His ways are above our ways, and His thoughts are above our thoughts. And as long as we live in the world and the body of the sinful flesh, we will see through this glass of truth darkly. While we live here not understanding so much, I would encourage you to have faith that no matter what you do or do not understand, you understand this, that God is good, that He is just, that He is holy, and that He loves each and every one of us, His children, and His mercies are new for us every morning. Amen? Amen? Psalm 41 reminds us of these truths. Hear the word of the Lord as we are called to worship today. Blessed is he that considers the poor, for the Lord will deliver him in the time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou shalt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing, and thou will make all his bed in his sickness. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die and his name perish? And if he come to see me, he speaks vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity, and he goes abroad, and he tells everyone. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise their hurt. An evil disease, saith they, cleaveth fast to him, and now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. Yea, my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite him. By this I know thou favorest me, because... My enemy doth not triumph over me. And as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity and settest me before thy face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. In that psalm, you may not have caught the nuance, but he talked about how his enemy does bad things and it's bad. And he's praying that God will bring his enemy to an end. But the part that vexes his soul worse, and you can also read about this in Psalm 55, is that his friend 
the person that he ate with, that he was close to, that he loved, his friend, has also lifted up his heel against him. There's nothing more painful than betrayal of a close friend. But Christ even uses those things for his glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy and your love, Lord. And Lord, you know what's best for us. Oftentimes we don't see it that way. And we even complain and we rail against you that somehow you're not there, that you don't see what's going on, that we're wanting you to come and help us when really we are in the place that you have placed us and we are experiencing the thing that you want us to experience. Lord, we come before you today asking for your forgiveness for us in our ignorance, O oh God, and in our willfulness against you and forgetting you. And Lord, we know you will forgive us. And we come before you listening for your voice. And we know you will speak to us. And we know, Lord God, that as well you will change us and send us out to be better and different than we were when we came. In Christ's name we pray. And all of God's people said, moment as I read for you my text from the book of Luke. Before I preach my sermon, though, I would like to make a qualifying remark. Um, I know that a lot of folks in our church are people of very tender conscience. Uh, and so when I'm preaching the message today, I hope that there are none in this room that are going, you know, I think that I'm a Judas. I'm not here to preach that maybe somebody in the congregation is a Judas. I, I don't believe there is a Judas in our congregation. Uh, but we're going to be preaching pretty hard about Judas and who he is and what he did. So don't get the idea that I'm, you know, hoping that... Because Judas, there's nothing redemptive about what he did. There's no happy ending to his story. There's no place of repentance that he found. I pray there are no such people here today. But what I would hope that we would learn from it is that we don't want to be like those that are perishing. Does that make sense? The Bible says we are not like those people that are blind, those people that are, you know, that are are damned. We're not like them. And so if we're not like them, we shouldn't act like them. Amen. Amen. Is that okay? You guys ready now? Put your seatbelts on. All right. Uh, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 45. And when Jesus rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, this is in the garden of Gethsemane, by the way, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why sleep ye rise and pray? Let's ye enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But when Jesus said to him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And when they were about him, they saw what would follow. They said to him, Lord, shall we smite this with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Let us pray. 
Lord, every word that you have given us is precious and it is true. And for that reason, we must look into the face of things that are very unpleasant. And as we consider the life of your betrayer here on earth, Lord God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts even from that. And I know that's why you included it in your word. Help us, Lord, to see what it is that we can learn from Judas today. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I've often heard people say, and I have said it myself, I just want to be used of God. And I do want to be used by God, and I will be used by God. In fact, all of us are going to be used by God and will continue to be used by God every single day. That's what this life is. This life is God uh, telling His story through us. We may be too close to see the role that we're playing, but we're in it. We've been cast in the story, and we're playing a role that God has set forth for us. God is writing the story of His love, His holiness, His justice, and goodness in every color stroke of our lives. Today as we look at Judas Iscariot, arguably the man who sank deeper in the depths of depravity of the flesh than any other man. I'll say that again. Judas, I believe, was the worst man that ever lived. That he sank lower than any man ever sank. That he committed crimes that compared to no other crimes committed by any other man. The depths of his depravity are unthinkable. We will look at how God used him though and is still using him today to teach us important lessons about God. We will look at the darkness of the human heart, the sovereignty of God over salvation, the responsibility of man for his sin, and the goodness of God. There we have a bright light, right? The goodness of God. Because of Palm Sunday and resurrection, I kind of went forward a little bit in the life of Jesus uh, and his, his time on the earth. But I'm going back because I'm not done with my series. We're, we're, we have many, many weeks to go more that we're going to do. So I'm kind of going back here. So let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about Judas and see what it has to say to us. Judas, his role in the life and death of Christ is extensively covered in all of the synoptic gospels and it's amplified by John and his account. In fact, John's account is one of a progressive nature where you can see over time the progression of the evil within Judas. In uh, the passage of Luke 22, which I chose for my text, it seems to me the lowest point of Judas. It wasn't just that he sold him. It wasn't just that he sold his friend. It just wasn't that he, he sold his friend for money. It wasn't that he just that he betrayed him. It's that he, even in the way he did it. I mean, can you imagine this, Tim? Someone so close to you. Someone who had spent that time with you. They're going to betray you. That's one thing. But the way he does it is, Tim. And he kisses you. I mean, seriously? That's so unthinkable in its depth of depravity that, that I picked that moment because it is the picture of the lowness of his estate. He had no fear. He had no regret. He had no remorse. He like, this will work. I'll just kiss him, right? Here in front of God and everyone. Judas kissed the cheek of our Lord, still wet with the blood 
from the sweat of his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Those lips that were touched by the blood of Christ no doubt burn today in a fire that can never be quenched. From those lips right now come forth the constant cursing and cries of pain, the burn of the brimstone. Yet for all that, Judas is not sorry for what he did that day. He did what he wanted to do that day, and today he has gotten all he ever wanted. And that was to be rid of the presence of God. That's pretty rough, isn't it? Do you know that's what we all want? If we're left alone without God. Do do, do you understand how dark we are? That's how miserable and corrupt the flesh is. And Judas just shows us how deep it can be and how miserable that is. Judas, though, is no different than any other man without God's livening touch. He's no different than you and me were it not for the grace of God. You see, Judas was a common man. He was a common name. In first century Israel, Judas Iscariot should not be confused with two other men that were disciples whose names were Judas and with the brother of Christ whose name was Judas. There are eight Judases in the New Testament. Isn't this kind of neat? He's not to be confused with those. Thomas, the apostle, was named Judas Thomas. And Thaddeus, uh, just like you've named your son, his name was Judas Thaddeus. Judas was among the twelve. His name derived from Israel's tribe of Judah, which means God is praised. Perhaps his father, who John 6 says name was Simeon, was thankful to have him and had great aspirations for what he might be. In Luke 6, there's a list of the twelve apostles. Luke 6, 14 through 16. And you'll see there was Simon, who he named Peter. There was Andrew. There was James and John. Philip, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, which is other name being Matthew. Also, or Matthew, also called Levi, Judas Thomas, Judas the son of Alphaeus, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas Thaddeus, the name of James we call Jude. And last, there was Judas Iscariot, who the scripture says, who became a traitor. In all four gospels, he's always the last man on the list, and it's always a notation about who he's going to be later on in the story. Judas was the biggest failure and the most wicked and vile monster of all human history. You might think, some of you might, you know, you're being a little hard on this guy. I mean, he's the worst monster ever. Yeah, he, he, he was. He betrayed unthinkably the most perfect, sinless, holy son of God for... The price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. Exodus tells us that's how much the lowest form of slave is worth. Now, when, when an abused or neglected or unwashed, as they say, child grows up to do bad things, we see some excuse for his behavior. Or when a man or woman lashes out at others who have done them wrong or find themselves in a desperate situation, uh, we offer them more grace, right? Right? But in the story of Judas, we we have none of that. In fact, we have the opposite. On the opposite side of the scale, we find what is so heavy, so colossal that amplifies his greed, his ambition, his hypocrisy, and his crimes to a level that none other has or could ever reach. 
He spent more than three years day in and day out with perfection and love himself. And he was changed by it, but not how you might think. His heart was so dark that being around Jesus made it darker. Jesus showed him constant selfless acts of love and friendship daily. And this touched Judas too, but not like you would hope. It made him despise the Lord with contempt. He watched Jesus raise people from the dead. He watched Him heal lepers and cast out demons. They watched Him love people. And all it did is make Judas more bitter. Of course, this is how it works as Jeremiah 17.9 says it. We don't like this. We don't like this because it's true. We don't like this because it's painful. But we need to know it today. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Another translation says it is beyond cure. And who knows how evil it really is. Well, we see in the life of Judas how evil it can be. A person with excuse, a person with a bad background, one thing. But someone who lived with and saw and received all the goodness that none of us have ever even received. Could you imagine having a friend like Jesus, Steve? Could you imagine being with someone with that kind of power and love and truth? He heard it all. He saw it all. And it did nothing to penetrate his heart. But all it did is make him worse. This is how it works. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Among men there are none righteous. Everybody say, none righteous. There is none that seeks after God. Say, nobody seeks after God. There's none that do, does good. No, not one. And you go, well, well I, I was seeking after God. No, you weren't. If you sought after God, it was only because of His mercy that you did. You weren't interested in seeking after God. God interrupted your life. He touched your heart. He enlivened you. He made you want to serve Him, and you did. Without that, you would not. We call this the doctrine of total depravity. It's the T in the acronym, acronym that describes Calvinism. Tulip. T for total depravity. A picture of Judas might be good to put next to the letter T in the explanation. For no man has ever demonstrated this truth better. His dark story, the most poignant example of what the human heart is capable of doing. Three years with Jesus Christ. All the time his heart grew harder than the stone it already was and more hateful than it was the day before. Because of his closeness to Jesus, her sins, his sins were all the more heinous. Because of who he sinned against, and all, they were all the more unpardonable. Jesus called Judas. Now this is difficult. He called Judas and the other 11. It's all there in John chapter 6. They were all there. When He called Peter and James and John and, and all the others, He called Judas. Judas was an apostle with the capital A next to his name. Apostle. It was God's will from the moment of His calling, from the moment of His birth. It was God's will that Jesus called Judas and add him to the number of those special twelve who walked with the Lord. Why did He do this? What could this teach us? We will see from the Scripture this was God's plan. God's plans do not always seem good to us. They just don't. 
we're in the middle of it. We were talking with Michael recently, and you know, this went wrong with his house, and that went wrong with his house, and this difficulty, and it's like, how can there be any good that comes from this? It can't be. It's not the will of God. You know, this is what the inside. We're like, this is not right. Something must be. No, everything's right. God has brought us right where we are because that's right where he wants us. And he called Judas to be in the 12 because that's where he wanted him to be. Now, you see, this is where we face sovereignty head on. This is where we face this subject. It's so clear in his life that it can't be denied. It can't be denied that God from Zechariah hundreds of years before to the moment of his calling knew that he would be an apostate, knew that he would be a betrayer, knew that he would burn in hell for what he was going to do. God knew it and that was God's plan. This is hard for us. We don't like it. We don't like it because we shouldn't like it. We should be terrified. And we should be thankful today because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's important because we have difficulty when we see ungodly leaders. It pains us and we say, this cannot be. Not only can it be, but when there are ungodly leaders, it's the will of God. I know it's hard, but it's true. We may not understand why, but what we need to understand is that sometimes it is God's will to have ungodly leaders in the church. Judas was used by God this way. The Messiah needed a betrayer. The betrayer needed to be his friend. And he was the sharpest picture of he came unto his own, and his own received him not. In fact, Judas is the antithesis of Christ. I know it's an unpleasant subject, but each week we remember Christ's death. You might remember that we also remember the betrayal every week. You remember this? What do we say? I, I open my Bible, I turn to 1 Corinthians 11, and I say, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which He was betrayed. Now, it's almost like we don't want to hear that, right? I didn't remember every week we talked about the betrayal. Every week we talk about the betrayal. And then what, what, what is contrast is in all of the incredible scenes of the Bible, there He is. It's like all of the incredible scenes of your life where God is doing something good. The man that is disgusting, that is sinful, that is, deserves wrath, He's there too. That man of flesh, that's you. The one that's receiving Christ is the one doubting Him. The one who is receiving grace is the one unthankful for it. It's there. It's this, this antithesis, we say. As we're remembering the beauty of communion in the broken body of Christ, what do we have to remember at the same time? The betrayer. When we remember the story of the woman anointing the feet of Jesus, what do we remember? There was a guy there, and he was there. Right? And we'll talk about that. He's there. He's there. He's there all the time. Hovering over. Because in the same sense that all, there's all this goodness, right? The man of flesh is always hovering. Nothing was was held with Judas that was given to the other eleven. Now this might be hard for you too. Those of you that are Gnostic by, uh, you know, by nature or by your culture, it's difficult for you to believe that Judas probably was... He might have been the best miracle worker of the bunch. You might go, well, that eh, I don't know about that. Well, really? Scripture would have told us if everyone but one 
went forth as Jesus sent them with the miraculous gifts to cast out the demons and to heal the sick. Would it not? In fact, Jesus takes the time over and over to say all but one, all but one, all but one in several cases. He says it when he's saying you're all clean at the foot washing. He's saying all clean. He goes, but one. Everybody say, but one. When he does the calling of the disciples, he says in John 6, haven't I called all of you, but one of you is a devil. All but one, all but one. Father, he prays in John 17, Lord, I have kept all of them that you have given me, all but one. Isn't it amazing that in all of these incredible circumstances that we remember with great beauty, there's always that one, that extra one that hovers around. Judas is there. The Bible would have told us if all but one were given the wondrous gifts of the Spirit, healing the sick, casting out demons. I have no doubt that Judas was a miracle worker like Peter, James, and John, and all the rest. And having these incredible gifts did not mean that he had the gift of a new heart. He did not have the gift of salvation. Miracles are not the sign that a man is a man of God. Even godless heathens have been known to produce miracles. One thing different about Judas was that he was alone, though. He was not from Galilee. His name, Judas Iscariot, if you're wondering what it means, most scholars agree it basically means he's Judas from a place called Karaoth. I can't even probably pronounce it right, but it's a place south and east of Jerusalem. For this reason, it is not likely that anyone really knew anything about him. The others would have known each other or known of each other in their families. They were all from the same small area, but not Judas. And I think that God may have made it this way because it made it easy for Judas to be a hypocrite. You see, the hypocrisy in us loves to meet new people. Because we can be more saintly to the new people than we ever really are. They think that we're good. They think that our families are great. They think that we're holy and we're nice and we're kind. And those that have been around us a long time have figured out that we're not really all that great. That we're really just sinners, right? Don't you love to meet new people? Come on, Elaine. I know you do. Don't you like when they're like, she's the most amazing mother in the world. The most amazing wife. The most amazing Christian. And it's like, that's right. Look at my babies and just ask my husband when he when they rise up, they call me blessed. I mean, there's something that we love about people thinking good of us. Now, come on. I like it. I like to go in dressed up and be with my family and to look at my kids. And I'm like, that's right. That's right. Check me out. Look what I got. Look at look what God's blessed me with. You know, you could have this, too. You know, if you could just follow me in my ways, you know, and, and, and you know, whatever. And so this is the flesh, though. The flesh loves to be thought well of. It loves to be praised it loves to be said oh oh christy you're just so wise you're like oh that's right yes i'm so wise i mean my kids think i'm idiots you know but but you know you know i say that because that's how i feel i'm not particularly talking about your kids haven't told us how but how stupid you really are but but they didn't know anything about him his background, his life before they showed up, he could pretend to be as good as he wanted to be. No one would have any reason to doubt him. That's what hypocrites do. They pretend they're better than they are, hoping that you'll notice how good they are. Yesterday, during my third hour of prayer, it occurred to me that I told you I was going to call you. That's how we talk, hoping people will think we are what we are not. You see, guys, we don't want to be hypocrites, amen? I'm not saying we should go around saying we do things that we're not, but don't lead people to believe. Don't try to pretend among your church folk, among people that love you, that you're better than you are. You're not. 
I'm not saying live and wallow in the sin, but I'm saying don't pretend. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, right? We should be the first to confess our sins rather than have others point them out for us. He not being known to the others played well into his strategy to work his way into a place of trust that ultimately become the treasure of the purse of Jesus. The traveling apostles, he, he was chosen above. Even Matthew, who was known to be good with money, he was working his way. And this kind of tells you about what he wanted. He wanted to be... Now, not all treasures are evil, right, Andy? They're not all bad. Right, Paul? Not all treasures are bad, right? But he was working his way in. He wanted to be in that place of trust. And he got there. And the thing that I noticed is that even as it gets closer and Jesus keeps talking about the one that betrays, nobody is going, is it Judas? What's everybody saying? Is it me? Is it me? Because they're seeing their corrupt heart, Jeff. They know how bad they are. They're remembering their doubts in the shadows. They're remembering their denials. But Judas is over there. Even when he tells Judas to go and do what you do quickly, they don't even notice it. Even when he says he's going to dip into it, they they're like, was, that, was it me that you were talking about? They totally miss it. Why? Because he's the last one anybody would think was who he really was. You see, that's what the hypocrite, the hypocrite knows how to be better and look better than everyone. And if that's your game, you need to give it up. Judas, as far as we know, was as common as the rest. He had no earthly credentials. He started out like the rest, but he was never transformed by the power of the Spirit into a new man. And while they were becoming increasingly stronger sons of God, he was becoming increasingly more a son of hell. As the weeks passed, one commentator wrote, his sins rank at the top of the list of heinous crimes in human history. His sin surpasses that of a thousand Hitlers. I didn't write the commentator's name down, but that's pretty rough, right? His life illustrates how the unregenerate hardened by being with the people of God. I've seen this. I've seen people come around people, and I wonder, it's like, why are they getting nastier and meaner and more? What is wrong with them? This is what happens. When the unregenerate and those that don't know Christ are around the people of God, they get worse. They get harder. They get ugly, uglier. Their depravity goes deeper because they have to deny more every day what is right in front of their eyes. It also teaches us the truth that no matter how sinful a person may be, no matter what treachery they may attempt against God, the purpose of God cannot and will not be thwarted. God will have all of His holy will. Amen? His life teaches us that even the worst treachery finds its place in the fulfillment of the divine plan. In the end, God will not and cannot be overthrown by the treachery that the sinner is damned in unspeakable judgment for what he does, but it does not touch the purposes of God. We are not in a colossal battle of good against evil where evil might triumph. God will triumph in every situation. And the evil itself is part of God's plan in conquering Satan. Amen? Judas followed Jesus out of his own desire, his own volition. It seems he had messianic hope and messianic ambition. He was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, at least convinced enough to leave whatever enterprises he may have been engaged in, to leave whatever path toward wealth might be pursued, to leave whatever avenue of ambition he might have already been to pour everything, his whole life, into following Jesus. He was convinced that Jesus had powers no other man had. He was really the Messiah, and he came to see up close that he was right. 
People that are ambitious and greedy and want power, they get close to people that are going to take them there. So he didn't want salvation. He didn't want love. He didn't want pardon from God. What did he want? He wanted what comes with that. He's going to be with the Messiah when he's in power. He's going. What happens if you're in power? He's going to have wealth. He's going to be important. Now, we, we, we see in Scripture that some of the other disciples, they were just as bad off, right? Who's going to sit on your right hand? Who's going to sit on your left? Who's, going to, who's the greatest among us? They had these problems like we all do. But this is his sole focus. We see Mark 14. The problem was this. Don't miss this. If you, if you don't get anything else I say today, can you get this? Are you ready, Becky? You're going to like this. Mark 14, 8 through 10. The problem was, and would become more evident, that Jesus was not the lion Judas had hoped for. As long as Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah for whom he had been named, a lion who would pounce on and defeat the Romans, following him was worthwhile. It seems that when he found out that Jesus would do this work, though, not as a lion in the start, but as a lamb. That's when he, his dark heart could not bear the work of the Lamb of God. You see, men love the idea that Christ is going to conquer. The post-millennial idea of Christ conquering kingdom, that appeals to our flesh. He's going to crush them. He's go- Every knee is going to bow. We're going to grind them into powder. Rawr! We like that, right? And they go, but we're going to do that by you getting killed. And you suffering, and you being treated like dirt, and you being forgotten, and you being walked on. You're going to be the foundation stones that other people walk on on the way to heaven. Well, we don't like that message. That's the message of Christ. If, if Christ was not too good to be stepped on so that we could make it to heaven, we're not too good for that either. Amen? Amen. And the work of the Lamb had to come before the work of the lion. You see, he became the lion of the tribe of Judah. Isn't it amazing that Judas was named after him, right? He didn't do the work of the lion of the tribe of Judah until he had become the lamb. And this is, see, the flesh loves the lion, but it hates the lamb. It doesn't want to be the lamb. How many people, like, you know what? I want to be like a lamb led to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. I want to open up my mouth. I want to be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Nobody's making t-shirts that says that. We're like, yeah, the lion's on the move. I'm glad Josh made that shirt. People like that shirt. I like that shirt. The lion's on the move. Yeah. We're going to hurt you, evil, nasty people. We love the roar of Christ the Lion, but we despise the weakness or the seeming weakness of the silent Lamb. We understand now that the power of the Lion comes from His work. In Mark 14, you'll read, moments after Jesus explains to Judas, right? He's explained, here this woman is offering, he's at, he's at the house of Simon the leper, the woman is, is, is covering his feet with this expensive ointment, and he says, hey... The poor you're always going to have with you, but not me. This woman's preparing me for my burial. You know what the very next words are in the Bible? Judas immediately left and sought how he could sell Jesus. This was his turning point. 
Judas must have followed Jesus out of nothing more than selfish gain. The Bible tells us that he held the bag. Remember this? It says, it says Judas said these things not because he cared for the poor. See, this is what the hypocrite does. The hypocrite finds a way to keep the bag full because he wants some of the bag. Could not what this woman laid at your feet, could it not have been sold for 300 denarii, which is 300 days wages. That's a lot, right? Could it not have been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? I mean, can you just imagine this guy? And everyone's like, wow, Judas loves the poor. Like, man, I didn't think of that. And what does Jesus do in the middle of it? He rebukes him. And John adds in, because John adds stuff in, nobody does. He goes, he didn't do it because he loved the poor. I love that. It says because he had the bag and he was a thief. What did he love? Did he love the poor or did he love money? He loved money. How many people, I'm going to close my eyes. How many people find that you might love money more than you love the poor? See, we don't want to be like Judas, amen? If you were inside the inner circle of the great leader, the next great leader of Israel, there was a lot to be gained, power, money, and so much more. He was determined to follow Jesus, and when Jesus even did and said very hard things before he didn't leave, remember when, when they're all leaving him? You know who wasn't? You know who wouldn't leave him? Remember Peter's like, where would I go? Only thou hast the words of eternal life. You know who was sticking right by him, Luke? Judas. I'll be here for you, Lord. I'm going to hold the bag. They may all leave you, but I'm right here. Judas wasn't. He was sticking with it. He thought he would get rich. And when he realized he wasn't going to get rich, he got what he could get. And what he got really wasn't very much. Judas chose to follow Jesus when things were tough. He chose to follow him when he had to be an excellent hypocrite to cover up the reality of what he was. The hard work of a hypocrite is covering up who he really is. He chose to follow because he really did believe that his ambitions for wealth were tied to Jesus. And so Judas, that solitary monster who by his own greed and ambition motivated by his own wicked heart to follow Jesus... There are people who follow Jesus. This is another hard lesson. There are people who follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. There are people who will come and they'll go, Oh, I want to go to that church and and I want to be around those people and I want to have the good life. You see, that's why we shouldn't talk about the good life so much. We should talk about the good one himself. Amen? Oh, our life is so good. It's so wonderful to have freedom. It's so wonderful to be able to do this and God's blessed us and it's so good. Those things are good. But lest we become like those in Deuteronomy who he said, I'm going to take you into a land that you didn't buy. I'm going to put you into houses you didn't build. And he goes, and you're going to get there and you're going to forget all about me. You might find it hard to understand, but there are lots of people following Jesus today for the wrong reason. Judas is their poster child. And yet God chose him at the same time to fit him perfectly into his plan way back at the very beginning in John chapter 6 Jesus said have I not chosen all 12 of you but one of you is a devil 
I mean, this is all the way at the, on the, the same chapter of the list of the, of the disciples, the calling, the, you know, the first chapter they're mentioned in John 6. Jesus says, have I not chosen all 12 of you and one of you is a devil? Jesus chose a devil to walk with him and the disciples. It was part of his plan. The story of Judas is a tragedy, but within it, it is critical to the greatest story ever told. Now we look at the development of Judas brought to us by the Apostle John. Very often John colors the, apostle, the, the, the story of Jesus where Matthew, Mark, and Luke just tell the story. As you watch the life of Judas bringing all four Gospels together, he becomes more and more disillusioned. More and more disillusionment turns to hate. Hate turns to treachery. When he begins to see that things weren't going as expected as he hoped for, he begins to become the monster that he was all the while. I told you that each week my sermons get more challenging because they turn into books. And I, I, I have 50 pages, uh, and I'm not going to try. I'm only on 14 right now. So. <laughs> Give me a second. It was gradually that they began to discover that Jesus was coming not as the lion of the tribe of Judah, but as a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, as it says in Isaiah 53. This was really hard for all of them to understand. And some of them, when they did understand it, it did what it should do to all of us. It does. It should crush you. But that's not what it did to Judas. They had to repudiate their traditional view that the Messiah would come and a spectacular manifestation of divine power. And you'll watch, as you watch the story, this happens to the disciples. They eventually start getting it. They eventually start understanding it. But more and more, Judas does not. Even though, I mentioned this before, but Judas was a man of worldly views, but frankly, they weren't much different than Peter, James, or John's, or anybody else when it came clear that this was a spiritual kingdom that Jesus was talking about. He had to look for a way to get some money out of it. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We go to John chapter 13. Uh, I will try to wrap it up by walking through what happens here. Now before the peace of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. The supper being ended, the devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. It's almost like when I read these stories, Luke, these great stories, I forget about this is always part of it. This great day, this day that Jesus takes it and wraps a towel around himself and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. I forget that he's washing, Steve, he's washing Judas' feet. 
Peter's going, oh, don't, don't wash me, don't wash me. And Jesus is like, it's necessary. And then he's like, oh, wash me all. Judas is right there. And he mentions that fact. Jesus, knowing his father had given all things to his hand, that he was come from God, he went to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded him. And after he poured the water in a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet. Down to verse 9. Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands. Jesus said, he that is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are all clean. And then he says, but not all. It's almost like we forget this part of the story. There are things that happen in our lives, folks, that are there that seem difficult, that seem like they shouldn't be part of our story. Some of them we like to forget. Some of them we don't like to talk about. But they're in the story. We cannot leave them out. Amen? And in our story, we have the same kind of thing. If you go to chapter 17 of John... You'll see here at the very end, or you'll see that John is talking about this, He's, his prayer. I read it to you before. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those who gave me I've kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's praying this beautiful prayer at the end of his life. He's, he's ending everything and he's praying and he's talking and this man is part of this prayer to God. Chapter 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth the disciples to the brook of Cedron and he entered into a garden in which the inner disciples and then verse 2, and Judas also which betrayed him knew the place. When I think of Jesus in the garden, I don't think of Judas having been in the garden with him many times. You see, this is the height of his depravity. Oh, I'll go to that special place that we all go. I'll meet him there and I'll kiss him. The depths of this are just unthinkable. Judas having received a band of men, officers, the chief priests and Pharisees came thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Knowing all these things that should come upon him, he went forth and he said, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Even at the very last, the disciples, what do they say? Should we kill this guy? <laughs> he cuts off the ear of Malchus, uh, the servant of the, the high priest. Jesus puts it back on. But they ask him, John says, should we kill Judas? Should we kill this guy? Like this, is, this would be the time you want to kill him. But even then, he's merciful. Right? Verse 8, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. But that it might be fulfilled which he had spoken of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and he smote the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus said unto Peter, Put up thy sword, thy sheath. The cup which my father gave me, shall I not drink it? He's there at all these places. He's there at the table, at the Last Supper. 
arguably the most beautiful moment in, in the church. He's there. John is leaning upon his breast and they're there and he's loving them and he's telling them that this bread is my blood, this bread is my body, this wine is my blood. He's talking to them about the beauty of the kingdom. And Judas is there. But he has to say in the middle of all the beauty, in the middle of all the thing that he's saying, on the middle of it all, but there is one here. There's one here that's going to be, oh, who is it? Is it me? Is it me? Oh, it's the one whom I dip my bread in. That's going to be the one. He says right to him, whatever you're going to do, go do it quickly. I was telling the guys up here in the pre-service huddle that Christ's sufferings were horrible. The beating, the scourging, the humiliation, the nakedness, the, the condemnation as a criminal, all that was bad. But to me, and, you, and you, can, if you would have to think of Jesus in not a human way to not think of this, but it was his betrayal by Judas, even in this, that had to be one of the most painful things that he could have endured. A man that he was kind to, that he loved, that he fed, that he shared, that he, whose feet he had washed. What you do, do quickly. Satan filled his heart, set him on his way. The life of Judas, there's a lot to learn from it. But what we should learn is how not to be like that. But we can also learn that God has horrible things that He puts in our stories. And when we see them, that's, when the Bible says in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You remember Job? You need to curse God and die. And, and, and Job says... All my life, he said, I've received good from the hand of God. He said, shall I not receive evil from him also? I'm telling you folks, we could use a dose of this today. Amen? As we look at the life of Judas, the betrayal, the hypocrisy, the greed, the ambition, and the love of Christ all along, we know Judas' final end. Judas gets the money. He gets the 30 pieces of silver. He comes and he's, he's disgusted even by what he's done. He, he brings it back in, but the people in the temple, they don't even want it. So he throws it down. They don't even want to bring the money into the temple. They take it and they buy a field. Because of why? It's, it's fulfilling the Scriptures. That's why. I was, in the, in the beginning, I was going to write the sermon. I was going to call it Betrayal and Denial because... What Peter did was horrible too. Right in the middle of all of it, he's denying and denying and denying. But the difference is, is that when those that are called by God sin, their sin drives them to what? To repentance. And here was Peter who needed to be broken so he could do the work that God was calling him to do, was broken by his sin. So don't despair if you sin and you feel like your sin is breaking you. That's all right. That's what it's supposed to do. And as it breaks you down, it breaks you like that alabaster box and you flow out uncontrollable to God. God grinds all of the... The Bible says He takes that stony heart out of us and He gives us a soft heart of flesh. Sometimes that stone has to be crushed. Nothing happy happens for Judas. He doesn't repent. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. But he goes out... And he takes him and he hangs himself in a tree. The book of Acts gives us more insight. It says, then he falls. 
and his body is busted open to where his intestines come out. Isn't that horrible and gruesome? We're not exactly sure how it happened. Maybe the branch broke or the rope broke or whatever, but the book of Acts said that this man, that it would, as Jesus said, it was better that this man were never even born. How can something be good like that? I don't understand it all, but I know it's so. How can God be saving you, but yet still in you, you cry out and you say, who can save me from this wretched man that I am? How many know what that feels like? I do. I do. Don't despair. As Christ saved Peter, He saves you and me. We're God's children. It's not our lack of sin that should alert us to the fact that we're regenerate. Our sin and our remorse for it should be evidence of the fact that we are His people. And as we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus didn't love Peter any less because of His denials. Amen? You know, that's a, I won't get into it, but that's a difficult thing. Didn't Jesus say that if anyone denied me, I'd deny them? Didn't He say that? The sin of blasphemy, right? Peter denies over and over and over that he knows Jesus. And still, he forgives him. Not only does he forgive him, he gets to be the herald of the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. God's not depressed by your sins. He's not unable to forgive even the most heinous things that you do. And he will. Doesn't that give you some confidence? It does me. Your pastor loves God. But as I get older, I realize I am worse off than I ever knew. You'll find this out. I always thought that the idea is that I would get better and better and better, and then eventually I'd just float away. You know, kind of that was kind of like my idea. The holy man of God who never sins. I, when was the last time I sinned? Maybe it was 2000. Maybe it was in the 1990s. That's what I'd hope for. But the Bible says that as knowledge increases, your awareness of sin, it brings a sorrow in your heart. It does in mine. I don't want to displease God, but I realize I do all the time. I don't want to have the wrong way of thinking about things. I don't want my ambitions to be my motivation. I want my love for God. I want that. And folks, that shouldn't drive us to depression. It should drive us to our Savior who is able to save us. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that your voice has been heard as we have considered briefly the life of Judas. Lord, I'm sure we'll understand things we could never understand in the by and by, but for now, Lord, we do understand that all things do work together for good. In those moments that we will experience in the coming days and weeks and months and years, oh God, may we be mindful that you are at work in everything that happens in our lives, that none of them catch you off guard, that that even our worst failures can end up being the hallmark of our story. Lord God, cleanse us by your blood. Draw us to your feet, O oh Lord. Lord, wash us, Lord. Help us, O oh God, to bow in humility willingly, not bowing the knee for show. Help us to see our sin and your holiness, O oh God. And be drawn unto you. Lord, help us to point men not to ourselves, but to you. For you alone are holy. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said.
Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.